Bibles. You join me in Colossians chapter 3 today. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 5 this morning. And uh, last week, as we went over those first four verses, Jennifer read them uh, this morning. I've heard from a couple of you that you've been working on memorizing those verses. So really cool. I imagine there's more that haven't mentioned it. But uh, I know one this week said they were working on it. They were struggling actually getting it into the mind and like getting it to stick. Right? I've been there many times. Some passages don't want to stick. But I tell you, you know what? Even if you don't, quote, memorize it for the rest of your life, you spent time with the Word of God. Right? And that's always valuable. And, and you understand the main uh, principle of it, even if it's not totally memorized. Okay? But uh, wonderful four verses there, talking about how we have to take our hearts and our minds and fix them on the things of heaven, on Jesus, on the things of God, and no longer on the sinful, earthly things of this world. And that we want to make Christ our very life, so that when He appears, we also will get to be with Him in glory forever and ever. Yeah, so awesome passage. So if you haven't memorized that or want to work on it, you got a whole nother week. <laughs> got the rest of your life. There you go. So so good stuff. Well, it leads us to our next passage this morning. And we're talking about putting to death things that belong to our sinful earthly nature because we've been raised to new life in Christ. So another awesome passage. This is the nitty-gritty. It's going to point out a big list of all kinds of things that we got to kill. we got to die to and get rid of and no longer live according to in our lives. All right, so if you'll stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word, and let us read our passage this morning. So we're Colossians 3, starting verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. Mm. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Starting there in verse 5, starts off with, Put to death, I have it circled in my Bible, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and greed, which is idolatry. So you got some stuff we got to put to death, the Bible says. Notice it says, put to death, therefore. And whenever you see the therefore in a new paragraph, you look back to see what it's there for. And uh, uh, so it, it just the verses that we had before, the whole point of the verses were four, verse one, since you have been raised with Christ. Okay, we've been raised from spiritual death unto spiritual life. And because we've been raised to new spiritual life with Jesus we have to die to the old sinful ways, verse 3, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So remember when we were dead to God, we were alive in sin. But now that we give our lives to Jesus, we have to die to sin and be alive with Jesus and for Jesus. Hmm. So the Bible says there's some stuff that's got to go. It has to die because you have a new life, you've been raised with Jesus. Hmm. And as we look here, this is very practical. Because the Bible wants us to actually live these things out, to live a life that pleases God. Sometimes you know, we come to faith and, okay, I've been cleansed, I've been forgiven, I've been washed, I'm a new person. Now what? Now go and live it out. <laughs> That's what these verses are about, going and actually living out a new life with Jesus. So therefore, some things got to go. And there is a process. When you first come to Christ, I'm forgiven, I'm saved. Okay, but now I got to learn how to love God. Oh, look, I read my Bible and it says, these things got to go. Hmm. They have to be put to death. Now, if we're going to put these things to death, we have to understand that if you just go on your own strength and power and try to get rid of these things out of your life, you're never going to be able to do it. 
The only way these things can truly die is if we really surrender these sins and confess them to Christ and say, Lord, I want them gone and I want to live a life of holiness. And when you really surrender these things to Jesus, his power will be there for you. His shed blood and resurrection power will be in your life and you will go to the garage and you'll get out a shovel. And you'll go out back and you'll dig a big hole about six foot deep. And you'll throw the lousy carcass of your sinful earthly nature into the pit, cover over it, and spit on it, and pour contempt on it, and walk away and never go back. Mm, Thank you, Jesus. That's how we have to be with the sinful things. They have to be gone. They have to die. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs, whatever, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. But he does give a list, a pretty thorough list, actually. And the first one on the list, number one, is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Because we have a new life with Jesus. He has a new plan for our sexuality and the way we, we live it out. The world has its plan, clearly seen and observed. God has another plan that's far better. Sexual immorality, if you got a, uh, NIV, if you got a King James, uh, it probably says fornication. That's probably the classic word, right? Which is this overarching term for all things that are sexually immoral. I looked it up in the Greek. The Greek is a word called pornea. i got to look it up, but I only can think, well, maybe that's where we got our word porn from. Maybe, I don't know. But pornea means illicit sexual intercourse or forbidden sexual activity. Hmm. So I like the term sexual immorality. I think it's a good translation because it lets us know that there's a type of sex that is immoral, that is, that is sinful. But it also lets us know that there is a type of sex that is moral and that is approved by God. We must remember that God made us, as we're going to talk about this this subject here. I'm going to spend a little time on this, because it's kind of like a thing in our world, right? (laughs) And the church maybe doesn't talk so much about it. But remember that God made us, and he imparted to mankind a a sexuality. That, That this is like actually part of who we are as human beings. God, at the very beginning, made us male and female, right? He had a plan. He had a thing going on, and sexuality was was part of that. He gave us hormones and bodies with specific parts. Right? He did the the, God invented all of this. (laughs) Sometimes in the church, like, well, we're not ever going to talk about sex, right? But the world's talking about it. Maybe we should get God's view on it so we could live according to his plan. Little children, as they're growing up, they hit this area of their life we call puberty. Hmm. That's really miraculous, right? Human, we're growing from babies. This is a miracle design from God. And suddenly, a little girl turns into a little woman. And a little boy turns into a little man. And they're going to grow to be big men and big women, right? So this is a marvelous design that God made. So sexuality wasn't there for the children when they were little. But now he has a plan for it as they age and as they grow and as they mature. So just remember that God invented sex. He did. It wasn't the devil. It was God. He invented it for procreation. Remember the first commandment? Go forth and multiply. The only command, by the way, that mankind ever took seriously. Yeah, I like that one. Let's do that. The rest, I don't know about, but man likes to do that. But for uh, bonding within the marriage covenant, making them one there's, a, there's a, a beautiful thing that God does inside that connection. Marital enjoyment. This is a good, sacred gift from God. When God gives a gift, it's sacred. It's very special. Therefore, what God gives, God needs to guide, though. If it's God-given, it must be God-guided. And this is where the problem lies <laughs> for our world. They run off with this gift, woohoo! but they don't let God guide them. And all kinds of problems come out of that. Hmm. So God gives us many good things. An example of something God gives that we, we like to mess up with, let's say food, for instance. Food. 
is a marvelous thing that God has given us. And it's not just for sustenance, because he invented taste buds. He invented the different flavors and textures and the sweet and the savory and all the good stuff. And no, we love food. It's grand. Thank you, Lord. It's a wonderful gift. He could have made everything taste like oatmeal. Your steak or the french fries or the whatever. It's all, you know, I mean, I like oatmeal, but I might be a little tired of that after a while. But how would we know if that's what he did? But he invented all these amazing things as a good gift from God. But we can totally make it sinful, can't we? Mm, we just have a knack at turning the good stuff into bad stuff. We had a sermon some while back about gluttony. Hmm. Because food then can become an idol to us, right? And we can harm the temple of God, and we can lose self-control, one of the fruits of the spirits, and it becomes sinful. So it can be a good gift that God gave that we have misused, and then it can become something sinful. Well, it's similar with sex. How much more so, actually? A beautiful gift God gave, but there's instructions with the gift. You buy, you buy a new power tool or something, or you buy something and there's instructions, which as men we never read, right? But if you did, it might actually say, hey, uh, don't do this with it. It's made for this, but don't do that with it. But if you take your new power tool, or your, your gizmo, or your toy, or whatever, and you use it contrary to its intended purpose, eventually what's going to happen? You're going to break it. You're going to break that thing, right? It wasn't made for that. You've been doing that? With, right. You're going to break it. Hmm. I think the same thing has happened in our world with sexuality. It's broken because for so long we have used it contrary to the instructions of God. And eventually it breaks. And I think our society is showing great signs of the brokenness of our immoral sexual behavior. And this is why Young kids are not sure, some, if they're male or female. That whole gender confusion thing, and young kids are suffering with this. Why? Because of sexual immorality. Because we have not used it according to God's plan and purposes, and eventually it breaks, and it harms individuals. And we may have homes where children grow up with two mommies or two daddies. Because we have not understood the plan of God for the family. And how a child needs to grow up with true masculinity from a father's love and care. And they need to grow up with true femininity from a mother's love and tender care. That the combination of both those things whom God made, the male and female, and built the family that way, that feeds into a little life to make them whole as a person. And when one is missing, there is a brokenness in that little life. There are things that my wife can do for the children I can never do, right? The tender care of mom. But likewise, there's things that, that I can do as a father for the children that she could never do. And that we need both because God knows what he's doing, right? And this is how he made the family. But how many grow up because dad ran off and there's just mom? And there's no dad in the home. How has that harmed our young men of our society and the young women as well? When they grow up with a dad but no mom, how does that harm? And It's all sexual immorality in some manner, and it's fracturing our, our world. And families are ripped apart when the wandering eye for mom or dad takes them into adultery, and the family is broken. What does that do to the children the sexual diseases are running rampant. I can't remember the statistic, but one of my daughters, because my uh, twins go to Chico State, and they mentioned something, and they, it was the, the amount of STDs that are the percentage-wise in Chico State was staggering. And we're talking about, these are like kids who just left the home a couple of years ago. Sexual diseases are running rampant just in the college. What about our world? The pornography that is poisoning the minds of young men and young women When children are born, but they were not wanted, and they grew up as unloved kids in the home. What about abortion? Abortion, the killing of our children, is a result of sexual immorality. 
by living according to the plan of the world. But God has a better plan. All of these things I mentioned, these tragedies, these broken situations, could have been avoided if they just behaved according to God's plan for their sexuality. Wow. God has a better plan. It's kind of like God knows what he's doing. And if we just actually lived according to it, it would spare us sorrow and tragedy. Oh, it would. Now, I know many of us have been touched and broken in some way by sexual immorality. Remember, God is merciful. He mends and he heals that which is broken. He totally does bring all those pains to Christ. We may live with some circumstances and consequences, but God will bring healing. He's the great healer. But God has a better plan. We want to teach this better plan to our kids and to our grandkids. Now remember, sex is so sacred that that God built a special place. He built a temple for it. God gave that little phrase to me a little while back, and I just use it anytime I can. You've probably heard it a few times. The temple is marriage, right? But it's a sacred gift. So he says, I'm going to build a special temple for it, and I'm going to house it in that, and that way people can, can do it correctly if they follow my plans. Now remember that the temple of marriage is one man and one woman in a covenant, a binding agreement of, of marriage. Hmm. Some people say, well, we don't need that piece of paper to tell us that we love each other. Well, you don't. But you do need a commitment. And the best way to do it is publicly, with God, with witnesses, with other people. Because what does it do? In sickness and in health, for better or for worse. He binds us together, right? We need that commitment. God invented that commitment one to another and before him. Within the temple of marriage, we have sexual morality. Hmm. The correct using of, using of this gift that God has given. Certainly through perversions, people can mess with it in the marriage too, and that's a whole other thing. But So what that means is that, that sex outside of the temple of marriage is immoral. Immoral. Right? All variations then. So let me just list a few, because in our world we should be specific. Um, all types of homosexuality are considered immoral. Right? Sinful in God's eyes, even if they're married. Right? That's another thing. We can marry now sometimes in that, in, that, uh, in that world. But that's still, it's against God's plan because it's one man and one woman that God intends for the marriage union. So all types of homosexuality and their various ways in which they manifest themselves would all be outside of God's plan. But the majority of sexual sin is not actually that. It is heterosexual sin. Unmarried sexual intercourse. So prevalent in our world, in music, in movie, everywhere you go, right? It's, it's just this major thing in our world, very common. Adultery, all types of pornography. For the unmarried person, God's plan then is abstinence until marriage. That's the plan. The world will be shocked. <laughs> what? You're going to do what? Wait till you're married? But God has a plan, right? And it's good. Quick note on something I've never spoken of. I've never heard a minister mention it out publicly. It'll probably make us all very uncomfortable for a few moments, and then I'll move on. Sexual immorality, while I'm on the topic, what about self-pleasuring? Where does that fall, right? Is that immoral? Is it okay? What's going on there? Well, here's the deal. It all depends on the mind, where is the mind? Remember Jesus said that, that if you look at the woman lustfully, you're committing adultery with her in your heart. Okay? So in this situation, what is the mind doing? Is it thinking of your wife? Is it thinking of your husband? Then that could possibly be okay. Is it thinking of somebody else's wife? That's sinful, right? That's, that's wrong. For the unmarried person, if it's lusting after this person or that person, well, that would, that would be uh, immoral. Right? That'd be sinful. So one could, if one is engaging in that in order just to, to take care of a physical uh, need, but is able to not lust, then that would be uh, possibly okay for that individual 
The problem lies in the fact that not everybody can control the mind in that situation. So if one is unable to control the mind, then that would be um, something you need to avoid uh, in your life. So there we go. Before I move on from sexual immorality, one, a couple thoughts I'd like to share about those who struggle with same-sex attractions. Same-sex attractions. I fear this is a thing for our children and our grandchildren. They're going to have to face way more maybe than many of us did. I don't know. It depends. It's growing in our schools, growing amongst the young people. Some feel that since childhood they've had these attractions. Some say, hey, I felt like I was born with this in my life. Now, I don't believe that anybody's actually born with that, but I do believe that the combination of our sinful nature, coupled with the devil's temptations, we can be misled into all kinds of sinful attractions. Totally, right? That's, that can happen. I think that there's outsized forces that come into a child sometimes, the viewing of pornography when they're very young, or an encounter, or something that happened in abuse or whatever, can also trigger these types of things with the sinful nature and with the devil's temptations. So one can certainly feel like they were born with it, that they grew up this way, and that these were always their inclinations. Okay, but here's the deal. Just because it seems like a natural inclination that you've always had, doesn't mean that's who you are, and it doesn't mean that's who you should be. Right? Let me say that again. Just because you feel that way, those, those urges or temptations, you know, those feelings, doesn't mean that's who you are or who you should be. I say that because the world says something different. The world we live in and the devil's whisperings, if you feel attractions towards the same sex, the devil and the world will say, that's because you're a homosexual. So there you go. That's your path. That's what you should do. But that's a lie from the devil. That's not truth. So we have to understand that who tells us who we are? Our feelings? The world? No. God. He made you. He loves you. He tells you who you are. So we can't rely just on feelings and emotions and attractions and things and that, let that guide us. No, we are guided by God. He made you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. So we listen to God and not the world. Then he will direct our life and our path. Oh, and it will be blessed. I guarantee it. Our young people need to know this, though. Your grandkids, anybody, even if it's not somebody here today, what about somebody you know who's struggling with these things? And it's just bad logic to think that just because I have an inclination towards that, then I should therefore, that's who I am. That's bad logic because, you know, we have all kinds of inclinations. That doesn't mean that's who we are. If, you have, if you're inclined to steal things, well, since childhood, I've always wanted to steal stuff. Well, a little kid doesn't take something somewhere along the lines. But if that isn't curbed, it grow, he grows up with it. And man, he wants to steal. So therefore, he's just bound over to a life of thievery. Well, no, of course not. The husband who has a natural inclination to look at other women lustfully. Huh, welcome to manhood, right? So the husband who has that inclination, so he's just bound over to be an adulterer his whole life? Of course not, right? So just because one has a natural inclination doesn't mean that's where he should then go and live. That's why the Bible teaches us the sinful behaviors and natural inclinations have to be put to death. We don't live according to what we naturally want and feel. We reject those, dig the hole, put them in the grave, put some dirt on it, spit on it, and walk away. And we now say, Jesus, I want to live according to your plans and your purposes for my life, regardless of what I feel. Because you know what is best. You're my God and my Savior and my King. Help our young people, Jesus. Please, Lord, and help our older people too. We all need your help in this area, Lord. Verse 7. No. Yes, look at that for a second. Verse 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Oh, how many of us did live that way, right? In that sexual immorality. 
But now you must rid yourselves of all such things. Understand that this has been going on. See, this was written 2,000 years ago to a little church in a place called Colossae. We don't know who these people are. But they were pagans. We do know that much. They were Gentile pagans into all kinds of nasty practices, sexually immoral, and they left that life. And now they're living for Jesus. And that's the way of the Christians down through the ages. We have to leave that life and come into a new life with Christ. Hmm. All right. So I spent a little time on sexual immorality, but I think it's very relevant for our world, and we can understand these things hopefully a little better. Now, uh, in verse 5 there, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality. Number two on the list is impurity. Impurity. Um, which is really a general encompassing term for all things that are impure. Right? We want to keep our lives pure. The Christian life is to be a pure life of holiness. We want our minds to be pure. How about our motives? Oh, we got to check the motive. Why we do things? How many times can we have a motive that's totally impure, right? Well, that was just totally selfish. <laughs> Actions, words, behaviors. The world will pollute us if we're not careful. James 1.27 talks about how we, uh, part of true religion is keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. You ever feel a little grimy? Even if you didn't do anything wrong. I remember for 16 years, I drove a truck for, for Foothill Ready Mix, and I, I was around the truck drivers. Lacked a curse, let me tell you. And speak foul. I know everybody else does too, but I was in the truck driving world. But there were times when I did not engage in their conversations, but I still felt tainted. <laughs> Hearing all the foulness, right? And I just felt grimy. But sometimes we can also participate and, and kind of step into the filth and become contaminated and let the values and the attitudes of the world rub off onto us. So we want to watch out for the impurity sneaking into our lives. Let's be careful with what we watch on TV and all the sources of entertainment, because that which is impure and you're constantly engaging in that, it's going to mess with your mind and your mouth and your attitudes, right? It's going to come out in the life. We must be careful. Third on the list was lust. Lust. And we kind of briefly mentioned that under sexual immorality, but it does remind us that sin so often starts right here in the mind before it ever goes out, right? You lust in the mind, and then it can become sin in the outward body. But here's the deal. This is what we want to do. Is we want to, learn to, want to learn to slay the temptation in the mind, then it never becomes sin and it never goes anywhere. So in that temptation to look at that woman that is, that is not my bride, comes to my mind, I say, oh no, in the name of Jesus, I reject that. I think of her. I think of other things. I slay that temptation in the mind. Give me help, Jesus. And then when it's dead, then I did not sin because it was killed at the level of temptation and I didn't move on. But if you take that and then you fantasize and you play there, then that becomes sin, right? And then it could even come out in the body. So kill it in the mind, and then it's defeated before it ever goes anywhere. Help us, Lord. So what does that mean? We have to become disciplined in our minds every day. Because how easy is it for the mind to just start straying? Now, we can lust after food or money or cars or wealth or possess, right? anything we could lust after. So if we're disciplined and controlling the mind continually, then we slay the temptation and, and move on in righteousness and holiness. The Christian life is a battle. we got to fight every day for the purity of the mind and the purity of the life. But Jesus will help us. His power is there. Number four was evil desires. Okay, you got, we got to get all our evil desires out of our life. And that's a big term, encompassing, apparently, all evil desires. <laughs> But notice, it's not evil deeds. It's evil desires. We're talking about inward things, which then become outward things. Because it all starts here in the mind and in the heart. That's sneaky though, isn't it? The devil can sneak in. So we've got to watch our desires and our feelings. Hmm. Like being angry towards somebody that turns to hatred. And Jesus said, when you hate somebody, you're murdering in your heart, right? Evil desire to hate. Huh. Remember, Christians, we can only hate sin. You hate it. Hate the devil and possibly the DMV. Okay? 
I have told that joke many times, and I'm going to just keep saying it. If people laugh, I'm going to keep saying Anyway, I don't like the DMV. It's part of it. I can't hate them, though. We can't hate even the DMV. we got to love. we got to forgive. The desire to go and do drugs, to go and get drunk, to punch that guy in the face who just cut us off in traffic. Those are evil desires. Just to throw the chair through the window, just the desire of just that rage. Right? We're going to talk about rage in a moment, but we've got to watch the feelings inside. Okay, number five, greed, which is idolatry. Isn't that an interesting note? Greed is actually idolatry. Now let's think about greed. Greed is that constant need for more. And never being content. Oh, I need, I need, I need. Give me more. And I'm never content. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, if you want that for your notes, Luke 12, 15, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds, because there's a lot of kinds, right? Because he said man's life um, does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. So it's not about how much you got. That's not what life is about, but the world says that. But God says life is about Jesus and serving Him. But so easily we can get caught up into greed. Huh? Yeah. Go to the new car lot with all the shiny cars. <laughs> Go to your favorite store. Not that those are wrong, but I'm just saying, sometimes you can feel those little greedy temptations. I went to Costco the other day. I don't get out much. I know. Jennifer was like all the shopping and everything, and I went to Costco and I was like, oh... I think I want that. <laughs> Did you know it's Christmas, apparently? At least according to Costco. But what do you, when you first in Redding, you first get into Costco, what do you first see? The largest TVs you've ever seen in your life. Bigger than anyone should ever have. Oh! We stared, the three of us. Emma was with us in amazement, like we've never seen a TV before in our life. We're just there to get some groceries. And Jennifer's looking back, like, where is my husband? I'm like, oh. Because again, I don't get out much. I'm like, oh, I could be, oh, I like that. Oh, stuff mart. There's all the stuff, and they keep it in the mart up there. We got to watch out for greed. Again, I'm not saying you can't buy a new TV. I'm just saying, because the Bible tells us, watch out for that insatiable, I got to have, I got to have, I got to have. And our world has no shortage of outlets for greed. And it even promotes it. <laughs> Christmas is coming. Let's remember it's the birth of our dear blessed Savior, right? It's not about greed and gimme, gimme, gimme. Now, I think giving gifts is a lovely tradition to show love to a family member and a friend. Yeah, that's some neat stuff. But let's just be careful because the world would have us get caught up in a bunch of other stupid stuff. Why is it idolatry? Wow, that means it's so serious. Greed is idolatry. What's idolatry? That's worshiping an idol. Bowing down to a little wooden statue. That's an idol. Hmm. So why is greed idolatry? Because I think what it is, you're saying to God, the greedy person who wants and wants and is never satisfied, you're saying to God, God, you are not enough for me. i got to have more. I need this and I need that. Because I'm not content with God alone. So that becomes an idol that we're worshiping in our life. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Sneaky, sneaky is the devil or the temptations. Here's, you know what, where I, Costco's not totally where I feel greedy, although I kind of did a little bit, but sometimes I feel the small selfish inklings when I go into the kitchen and there's the last piece of pie. And I don't want to share with anybody. And we might laugh and grin, uh, whatever. But it's there sometimes, isn't it? The, my little selfishness when I don't want to be generous and I don't want to give and help over there because it's my time and my life and my money. So I find, I say, forgive me, Jesus, and i got to try to give. I think that's one of the, the great ways to cure greed is to learn how to give and learn how to be generous. Hmm. God did build a system, I think, of, of tithing and offerings and things, sure, and helping one another to help us get rid of those struggles. 
Verse 6. Because of these, listen to this verse. Wow. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Hmm. It'd be a whole sermon right there on the wrath of God that's coming, let me tell you. But this tells us, what a reminder of how God views sin. Sin is not to be taken lightly. You want to know how lightly God takes sin? Look at the cross of Christ, where He gave His one and only beloved Son. When Jesus suffered and died and our sin fell on Christ, that's how severe sin is. And it leads to everlasting hell. And God said, I love you and I'll give everything to save you from it if you'll just come and trust in my son. The wrath of God is coming because of sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed and idolatry, right? God isn't going to put up with wickedness forever. He will shut it all down one day and he will bring his righteous judgment upon the earth so we have to understand, that where is the wrath of God coming first? It's not just hell. Well, I guess it is if you die first, before the tribulation period. But if you ever read the last book of the Bible, just read it. You're not going to understand it all, but read it and be afraid. Because it is terrifying. It's talking about seven years where God, during a time period, will pour out His wrath and His judgment, righteous judgment, upon wicked, sinful mankind. And man will suffer plagues and diseases and death and all kinds of horrifying things. The wrath of God is coming. And then, of course, there's hell for all eternity. Hmm. Understand that when we surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, and Christ comes into our lives and He washes and forgives all our sin, the wrath of God no longer is coming for you. Hmm. But the love of God, the love of God is yours in abundance now, oh, and then forever in a mighty way that we can't even fathom. Hmm. Because of the love of God, they said, oh, I'm not going to put up with sin, I'm going to judge it, but I want to give you an escape. I'm going to give you my son. And if you just say yes to him, then you will have life and my love forever. Okay, but those who do not say yes to Christ, the wrath of God is coming. So therefore, it also tells us that these sins cannot be found in our lives anymore. Remember, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Christians. He says, okay, you've been raised with Christ. You've been given over to him. Now live like it and put to death all these things that are wicked and sinful and don't let them be in your life any longer. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Wow. Wow. That's why we dig the hole deep and pour the sinful things in and then pour contempt on it and hate it and never go back. Verse 7. You used to walk in these ways. We did one time when we were sinners. There we were. Maybe you walked in those ways just for a few years if you got saved when you were five. Awesome. You were a sinner. You just got saved before <laughs> years and years of it. They got worse and worse. But some of you had many years in that life. You used to walk in those ways, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things. And we live in new life with Jesus. And he gives another list. Anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Get them away from your lips, it says. Hmm. Help us, Lord. Anger. Anger isn't always inherently wrong. There are certain things that should anger us as Christians. Absolutely. Certain injustices. God gets angry over things. Here's the key, though. As Ephesians 4.26 tells us, In your anger do not sin. There you go. So what do we do when you get angry, though? Give it all to God. Because the devil will be there to tempt you into sin. And then we forgive. Mm. Forgiveness is really the key. When you're angry at somebody, you got to learn to forgive them. you got to learn to let it go and let God avenge and let him repay. It's not your job. Give it to God. And it'll set you free. Right? Are you angry this morning? Are you suffering with that? So many, so many struggle with anger. And bitterness from past hurts and problems and people and situations. You've got to, le got to learn to let it go. Because 
you become a prisoner in the anger. But when you forgive, then you get to go free. Because what's the next one on the list? Rage. If you stay angry long enough, you become enraged. It's when anger reaches the boiling point and the fit of rage and the yelling and the cursing and the throwing of things and the cut punching and the kicking of objects and the losing of self-control and, oh boy, all kinds of things can flow out of rage. And, and this anger can also lead to malice. That's on the list. Malice. Being malicious. It's that intention to do evil to another person. Being spiteful, wanting to harm them, just being mean. And then slander. A false, damaging statement. With the invention of social media, people can slander so easily, right? Boy, there's a false lies and stuff all over the place to harm people. Hmm. Notice these are all connected. But if you started to get angry and you said, oh God, give me help, give me strength, Lord. I, okay, I'm going to forgive him because you tell me to. And you go through that process of forgiving, though it may take, a, take some time. And you keep forgiving him every day and eventually you give it all to Jesus. You know what? You're never going to be enraged. You're not going to be malicious. You're not going to be slanderous. God has spared you from all these sins, right? They grow and they abound more and more. One sin often leads to another. What's the next one? Uh, filthy language. Hmm. Filthy language. Oh, how our world loves filthy language, right? School, work, movies, all this entertainment. We've got to be careful. Hmm. I remember when I worked as a truck driver, too, hearing all the cursing constantly. Then those words just rattled in my brain when I came home. And then if I got angry, you know what the devil would bring on a silver platter to me? Those words. Like the F word on a silver platter. Oh, you'd like to use this right now. Here you go. Right? <laughs> uh. Just like sex, just like food, God has good gifts he gives and we mess them up. Words are a beautiful gift from God. We're not like cows in the field that go, he gave us language to express and to communicate and to love and build up and teach and help and guide. And, and it's awesome. It's a beautiful gift. Or we can use those filthy words and we can twist language and pervert it and make it where we tear others down. And we degrade other human beings. And we insult. And we insult God by misusing the language that he gave us. Hmm. So filthy language, got to go, brothers and sisters. The book of James talks a lot about our tongues and how we use words. Let me read one passage, James 1.26. says, if anyone, that's James 1.26, if you want that for your notes there, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein, like holding back a horse, tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Wow, we can destroy our witness with filthy language. Hmm, I've heard many people do it. We have to be careful. But God will help us. It's a habit. Verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Lying. Hmm. Deceptions. We have to understand that when you became a Christian... You became a child of God, a child of the light. You don't live in the darkness anymore. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that Jesus came to us full of grace and truth. So we now live in truth. But when we lived in the darkness, and we used to lie and deceive, you know what language we were speaking? This is, this is how bad lying is. In the Gospel of John, I think it's chapter 8, it tells us that lying is the language of the devil. That the devil is actually the father of lies. That's John 8, 44. John 8, 44. So when, if we lie, we're speaking the language of the devil. Right? Hmm. Because he was the first liar. At home, we want to make sure that our children understand this. Right? We have to be very careful because little kids, you don't have to teach them how to lie. 
It will come. And now you have to teach them how to live in truth according to the plan of God. So I would say when it comes to children, be consistent. Let them know what the consequences are before they lie. Here's the deal, guys. If you lie, that's always the consequence right there, whatever that happens to be. And don't ever change it. Okay? So they know, so they can understand. But also not just because mom and dad say, but because God says it. Because we want our children to live in truth. What a gift you can give your kids, truthfulness. Yeah, even if it hurts, tell the truth. Hmm. We have to be careful with white lies, which are just lies that we call white. I don't know what that is. It's weird. If you change the color, it's okay. <laughs> what? No. How about exaggeration? Well, I like to tell stories. And I've found that some of my stories change. And I didn't even need them to. I'm like, did I just say that? I changed my story a little. Not that I was not an intentional evil, but if I'm not careful, pretty soon it can change more. And pretty soon I got some whole, you know, the fish was way bigger than the original fish I caught or whatever. I don't know. I just find it in my own life. I just got to be careful because all of a sudden it changed. Well, what, how did that happen? Well, no, I meant it was this way and I have to try to correct it, right? <laughs> Let's just be careful. Stretching the truth or whatever. Because we want to live in the language of heaven, not in the language of the devil. So do not lie to each other, verse 9, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, notice that, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. You're taking something off and you're putting something on. It's very visual to me. In my overly vivid imagination, I picture a big coat. And it's all nasty. And you got to unzip it and take it off and throw it in the grave. And you put on the new, clean, washed, pure coat from Jesus. Zip it up and let it envelop your life. Get rid of the old, bring on the new. Here's a little story right before lunch. One time, it was before we got married, we were at a friend's house, Jennifer and I, and they, like, he made homemade chili. And somehow it was bad or I was sick. I don't know. But I, don't know I ate a whole lot of chili. And here it goes. On my way home, I'm driving my Toyota pickup truck. And I should have pulled over. But I didn't. And I began to vomit. Driving, of course, then it was only 65 miles an hour. What a moron. Why would I not pull over? I don't know. I just kept fighting it. No, no, I'm not going to throw up. Pretty soon I'm throwing up upon the dash as I'm trying to drive. It's coming back and flooding down my chest and my legs. I'm sitting in a pool of my own vomit. And the stench is intoxicating, and I'm rolling on the window, and I remember it was winter, and I had to turn the heater on. It was just, the whole thing was horrible. I got home, my dad kicks the doors open, and I, he hosed, right, just hosed out the vehicle. But you know what I wanted more than anything? Was to go in the house and get the old clothes off. Right? That are clinging to me, that are putrid. Get them off and take a shower and put on clean, warm clothes and go right to bed, because I was sick as a dog. But oh, how good it felt. Maybe you've been there, right? When you get those nice, clean, warm clothes on, and it's so, yeah. How good it is to get rid of the old sinful self that's covered in vomit and vile to God and put on the new clothes of righteousness that are pleasing to God and live a life that honors Him, right? Hmm. But notice the new garment is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. There is a process. Not of, when you say yes to Jesus, you're, you're saved instantly. Right? You're born again right then and there. You're adopted, you're regenerated, you're, you're born again instantly. That's not a process, it's a choice, and then, then the Lord does the supernatural work. But the process comes by when you unzip the old thing of death and throw it in there and put on the new one and zip it all the way up, right? So we grow and we mature. Because when you become a Christian, do you know everything about God? No. We have to grow in knowledge, learning. Oh, that is sinful. Forgive me, Jesus. I'm sorry. We learn, we grow, and we conform more to the image of our Creator, which is Christ. Hmm. You become more and more like Jesus. You're never going to become Jesus. He's Jesus. We're just people, but we become more like him in our attitudes and our thoughts and our actions and our reactions. How beautiful the journey is. So this morning as we pray, 
What has God said to you in this passage? Are there places and parts of your life in which you're still hanging on to that which needs to die and go into the grave? Maybe you threw it in the grave, but some of it's starting to sneak back into your life. And you go, well, I've been a little greedy lately. I've been a little polluted by the world and my thoughts and attitudes, and I've been negative, and I've been harsh with the family, or whatever, right? It starts sneaking in in little ways or big ways. Or maybe some of these sins you've never really thrown into the grave and covered up and walked away from. So as we pray, wherever the shoe fits in a sermon, just wear it and ask God for help, right? So Lord Jesus, here we are. We're just people. And we're weak and we struggle. But Lord, when we say yes to you, we're just people, but we're just people who have Jesus. And we get to live in the shed blood and resurrection power of Christ. And your power in our life, oh God, will give us victory over sins. Hmm. So Lord, bless your people. Whatever might have been relevant for them this morning, let them confess that sin to you even now and ring this next song as we close out the service. Let them throw that thought, that behavior, that action, those inward feelings, let them throw it into the grave, Lord. Shovel the dirt back on top and spit on it and disdain it and hate it and, and run away and live in the new garment of holiness and righteousness. Lord, help us. Forgive us, Lord, where we have failed. Forgive us where we let some of these things kind of creep in through the worldliness. Help us to hate them. Help us to recognize them. Lord, I pray for your people right now that you give us power in the mind to do battle. To cling to the scriptures, to the word of God. Let it be our sword to slay those temptations when they come our way. To speak scripture into our own hearts. To cling to what is right and true, Lord Jesus. And to fight and never give in in the mind. Give us victory, Holy Spirit, we pray. And Lord, if a brother and sister is struggling in these areas, and help them to enlist the help of a friend in the church or their pastor to pray for them, to keep them accountable, whatever it might be, Lord. We're in this together, and we need each other on this journey. So thank you, Lord, for being wonderful, for your forgiveness and your mercy. In Christ we pray. Amen.